Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Where to begin? The Biden administration tripling down on the nonsense of being anti-gun? I mean, seriously. Seriously. Anti-gun. Or do I start with the fact that the Biden administration is going to use the Defense Production Act on solar panels? The Defense Production Act which we saw utilized during COVID for masks and things that ostensibly save lives. But here comes the Biden administration with an ideology that's more important to them than, well, anything. And they're going to abuse the power of the presidency to remove tariffs, on solar coming in from Thailand and other places. Still trying to figure out how this benefits China because you know it's going to benefit China. And I have the White House explaining why this is so incredibly important. Taking a step back from that, what emergency is the president using to invoke the Defense Production Act? Because historically it's been in the 1950s uh, for the, the Korean War and during COVID it was enacted. What emergency is it, or what's the real emergency in the solar industry for the Defense Production Act? Um, so let me, uh, I was going to say first, the president, you know, when he takes the Defense Protection Act, it's to make sure that he's delivering for the American people. Uh, it is an important tool that he has used a couple of times and it has been incredibly inf- effective. Uh, so uh, for this particular Clean Energy Defense uh, Production Act, uh, he is invoking the Defense Production Act to rapidly expand per, uh, domestic production uh, of solar panel parts, building ins- insulation, heat pumps, and more. He is putting the full force uh, of the federal government's purchasing power behind supporting American clean energy manufacturers. So he's picking winners and losers. So he's picking winners and losers. Let's just be clear about what's going on here. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. How's everybody doing? 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. I heard this story yesterday. And I I said, nah, there is absolutely no way this is actually happening. There's, there's no way that this is a conversation. Biden utilizing the DPA? I, I thought I thought it was a joke. I thought it was just one of those things that that gets said, you know, somebody heard it wrong, what have you. Nope. Biden announcing new directives, executive actions on solar. This is surreal. We would use the Defense Production Act in a time of war, in a time of, would really say, uh, uh, emergency. This isn't it. This isn't it. We don't actually have an emergency when it comes to energy. We have bad policy that leads us down a bad road. We have nothing within our administration that pushes us towards energy security. Not energy independence. 
energy security, which is the idea that we are able to care for ourselves, which, of course, we should want to be able to do. Trump referred to the, the idea of wanting to be energy dominant. Different philosophy. I don't mind the philosophy. It's better than energy independent because it's about a strength. Because maybe you won't be able to actually gain true independence. Maybe in the marketplace, you will still need reasons to bring in energy from other places, right? People could describe that better than I could. Energy security is knowing that you as a nation can take care of yourself. It doesn't mean that there won't be, you know, some, some costs that get involved every now and again, fluctuations. But you're actually ensuring that where you're able to drill, you do. You actually do the searching to find the energy, and you allow that to happen. This is unbelievable. As Representative Chris Stewart put it out on Twitter, can't find baby formula for your newborn, can't afford to fill up your tank, don't worry. Biden will have new solar panels ready in no time. You know, there is a story worthy of, of mentioning gas prices. Well, I'll, I'll get to them. Oh, they're nuts. Uh, the inflation, here to stay. The Biden administration trying to tell you that this economy is good. I think it, I think it was uh, former Alabama Senator uh, Doug Jones saying, look, the foundations of the economy are very good. Biden's done a very good job. No, 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 he has not. If he had done well, he would be honest about the fact that he hasn't created a single job. People going back to work is not the same as creating jobs. They went back to the job you kept them from for two years. That is not, is not creating jobs. The Biden administration has not created a job at all. But if he had said that, look, we've got people getting back to work. Now we got to get into job creation. I think people would appreciate the honesty, but you don't get honesty from this White House. Never, ever, ever. Instead, we have this? You think this moves a, a, a voter? You think that this abuse of power moves voters? Do you think it moves voters to know that we've got gas prices where they are, inflation where it is, the baby formula issues that still exist, and Biden spent last weekend on Rehoboth Beach in, in, in Delaware? And if you say to me, what, he's not entitled to a vacation? I don't know. Ted Cruz just wanted to keep his family warm. Headed off to Cancun. You would have too if you could have afforded it. But even I said at the time, you don't do that. That's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. You're, you're a public official. You deal with the problems. You got to be a person of the people. If you can't be a person of the people, you're not a person the people need. Joe Biden, from the scrappy guy from Scranton, look at me, corn pop. I don't know. I, that's a terrible Biden impression. I just want to say that for the record. I thought that was awful. Actually, that was me doing an impression of producer Ari doing an impression of Joe Biden. I was going to say, it was, it was a good me impression. Right. World class. 
He was in Rehoboth Beach. He's just hanging out on the beach. He's like Chris Christie while everybody's locked down from COVID, hanging out there, trying to grab himself an ice cream cone. He's got the beach to himself. That's Joe Biden. Can you name for me a Republican who could have gotten away in this media, uh, with this media, who could have gotten away with being on the beach while kids can't be fed, while people can't fill their tanks, and while we have these supply chain and inflation issues? Anytime now. Oh, we're still going. We're still going. Any Republican can get away with it. Anyone. Anywhere. You get my point. You see it as clear as day. Trump, name the Republican, would just be ruined. Absolutely ruined for that visual. It's all you would see. And you don't hear anything about it. Joe Biden can't do this job. Not because I say so, but because he says so. We have seen him take a look at the Supreme Court and say, you know what? I'm not paying attention to them anyway. I'm just going to do what I want. And he extended eviction moratoriums. I said at the time that was impeachable. He talks about what he can get away with while he can. But the DPA, I mean, it was bad enough that he's releasing a million barrels of oil into the economy every day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Putting the country at risk, because that's exactly what he is doing. This incompetent old man, not because I say so, but because look at what he's doing. And if you don't want to say it's incompetence, you don't want to say it's age, well, then you're saying clearly it's a radical ideology that doesn't put America's interests first. Ideologically, you're willing to use the Defense Production Act to push your ideological desire of green to create more solar panels, picking winners and losers. This is the government investing in companies. Freak, it's Solyndra all over again. Jean-Pierre, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, said the president, when he takes the Defense Production Act, it's to make sure that he's delivering for the American people. No, it's not. You fraud. The frustration in my voice comes from the unwillingness of people to recognize problems. It is not, you know, when, when we are, uh, when, 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 when we discuss things, when we um, uh, go over things, we we're, it's not that we're smarter than everybody else. Sometimes we're very ahead of the curve. I mean, just incredibly ahead of the curve. And it's not because we're actually smarter. It's because we're more honest. And when you're more honest, you, you are able to see the field clearly. And that's exactly what you want. You want to be able to see the field clearly. And when you and, and that's why when we take a look at this, we take a look at those people who somehow want to tell me that this is good from Joe Biden. Ideologically, that desire, that push is more important than anything. 
What does it if people want to talk about uh, Donald Trump ba- breaking presidential norms? What the hell do you call this? Why isn't this a problem when Trump engaged tariffs? You know what I said? Tariffs or taxes. I said I can appreciate the effort. You can see if it works, but be clear, it's a tax. When he talks about the billions of dollars we're bringing in, it's paid for by the people. It is a tax. Said the words right here on this show. You heard it. We discussed it. It's not because I was attacking Trump. Ah, It's because, it honestly, it is what it is. The utilization of the Defense Production Act for solar is an obscenity. An absolute obscenity. And when people don't recognize and don't say, wait a second, this is too much. What you have in this tribalism, what you have in this fealty, this idol worship, is this idea that Biden can do no wrong. Why not? You can argue that not everything he does is wrong, but you can clearly argue that something he does is wrong. But they will never say something he does is wrong. And this is where they're most upset about the Trump conversation, why I'm tying it in. Because it's a great example uh, of something. What the political right did regarding Trump is they said, let's take a page out of the left's playbook. The... uh, uh, Trump never has never done a wrong. Trump's fine. Trump's perfect. Trump's great. Cult of Trump done. And the left went crazy because they asked the question, well, wait a second. Look at all these things. And they decided to make that their fight. They never once said to themselves, wait a second. They're doing, they're, they're, they, they took our move. It's like that Seinfeld episode. That's my move. They did. That's what happened. That's what happened. And that's also the move that Trump made and drove the left crazy. The move here from Biden is clearly wrong, is clearly obscene. Just say so. Just say the damn words. That's it. It's all you got to do. Nope. They won't do it. So this doesn't create a hell right. We have to be honest. We have to be clear. We have to be focused. No. It tells the political right to double down on their philosophies. Can't blame them. Can't blame them. Look at the nonsense game the left plays. You cannot blame them. But so we're clear. What Joe Biden has done here and the progressive left is disgusting. And it's going to hurt the country again. I'm Tony Katz. So the gas prices are climbing, and in my beloved Indiana, you've got gas at $5.19 a gallon on average. The story here is very soon we will have gas at at, at $24. We will have gas at $5 a gallon in all 50 states. Very soon do I hear six. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. This is where we're at. And there's nothing good in, in, in sight. This, the, you know, when, when they discussed six, 
and I think it was uh, someone from uh, the, the the global team, uh, the global oil team from J.P. Morgan uh, Chase, who who said this by August six. I think it was six dollars by August. So like whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know about six dollars by August, but we're definitely gonna have five by August. I said it, and then it's like oh, oh, I I. <laughs> Don't ever question the experts from J.P. Morgan Chase. $5 by June. I did not have that on my bingo card. I didn't have it. I had um, $5 by August, not $5 by June. There's no end in sight here. No end in sight. As a matter of fact, uh, Apple had uh, their 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 big meeting, their developer conference, and he got asked. Tim Cook, the CEO, got asked, "Are the supply lines in in China opening up?" Didn't answer the question. Not answering the question. That leads us down the road of okay. They were right about gas prices, which clearly means they're going to be right about recession in 2023. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. But as these gas prices continue to move up, it changes retail economics. It changes what happens with restaurants and bars and retail. Because if you can't afford to drive to the restaurant, you don't go out to eat at the restaurant. And that changes things across the country. It changes the hours of the restaurants. It changes the, the, the stock that they have, its food supply, its paper supply. Those ripple effects are real. All dollars that were utilized in any level of luxury capacity have now been taken up by a inflation and these gas prices, which you could also say is inflation. That's what's happened. And the real world effect is a continued damaged economy because these things all play on each other. And then politically what happens is you have people say, well, you see, you see capitalism. It's too fraught. It doesn't work. Here's what we need to do. Um, Look for those people. Those people are what we call in the business the enemy. They're the enemy of free and thinking people. It's the same people who say, oh, gas prices are high. I guess we need to invest in solar panels as a nation. Market doesn't want that. The market also wants to be able to buy a firearm. Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com is with us. What is the legislation being proposed in the Senate? What did they just do in New York? Does any of it pass constitutional muster? And do these people care about the Constitution at all? Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. is going for it all every last bit of gun grab they can do they are doing including their latest moves which will say you can't buy certain weapons unless you're 21 can't buy a rifle unless you're 21 
You can't be 18 years old and just walk in and buy a firearm, according to the governor, Kathy Hochul. I'm not sure why that is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's so great to be with you. On the federal side, they're talking about expanding red flag laws. They're talking about more money for for mental health services. I'm not sure what exactly either one means, but they're not talking about what they call an assault weapons ban, even though none of them could actually define what an assault weapon is. Cam Edwards joins us right now. He is the editor of BearingArms.com and the host of Cam and Company. I want to start with this New York legislation because it would seem to me outsider looking in uh, that this changing the the age conversation should work uh, negatively against the political left and other things they think they should lower the age on like voting for example but we co- there does come a conversation of why we have age differences between rifles and handguns and how does this play constitutionally? So give us a breakdown of what New York just passed in, in, in a super big hurry. And then how do we think this is going to play out when it gets to the courts? Yeah, uh, appreciate the invite, as always, Tony. So, yeah, so, I mean, you basically laid it out. You know, New York uh, just passed this law that says uh, no longer can 18, 19, and 20-year-olds purchase the most commonly sold rifle in the country today, right? Uh, semi-automatic rifles are the most common form of rifles. They outsell bolt action. They outsell lever action uh, rifles. Uh, but now, apparently, you've got to be 21 in order to lawfully purchase one in the state of New York. You know, and as you said, I mean, this was done uh, in response to an 18-year-old uh, legally purchasing a rifle and then using that rifle in the commission of a horrific uh, mass murder in Buffalo, New York. The, the question then becomes, A, does this implicate the constitutional rights of law-abiding 18, 19, and 20-year-olds? And I would argue it does. Uh, and B, does this stand a chance of having a real impact on reducing these already incredibly rare types of targeted attacks? And I would argue that, no, this this really does not change the, uh, the move the needle at all. Um, you know, talking about the constitutionality of, of these laws, We've seen a couple of states that have already tried to put similar provisions in place. Uh, the state of Florida did this after Parkland in 2018. And they just said, you got to be 21 to buy a gun, any gun, right? That, that, that's it. you got to be 21 years of age. Uh, the state of California actually took a somewhat more moderate step, believe it or not. Uh, and they passed a law not long ago that said if you're under the age of 21 but over the age of 18 and you want to buy a California-compliant, quote-unquote, assault weapon, uh, then you can't, basically. Um, and if you want to buy another type of uh, long gun, you got to take a hunter ed course. You have to show that, you know, some sort of proof of training uh, in order to purchase a firearm. The Ninth Circuit recently ruled that California law is unconstitutional, that, in fact, it does infringe on the Second Amendment rights of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds to purchase uh, lawfully owned firearms that are in common use for a variety of lawful purposes, uh, and that the law had to be struck down. Um, the Florida law is also being litigated as well. It's in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And a trial court judge upheld the law but said he was doing so basically solely because of precedent, that, uh, that he felt like there really were a lot of questions about why someone who is old enough to be drafted into the military, somebody who is old enough to get married, somebody who is old enough to enter into contract, somebody who is considered a legal adult, um, cannot purchase a firearm to protect themselves at home. They may be you know, married, they may have kids, but they're not allowed under law to protect themselves or their child. 
And I suspect that this is going to run into big constitutional concerns. Now, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which uh, controls New York, uh, they're likely to go along with whatever New York has done. They've been very amenable to uh, any new gun control laws that are put on the books in, in that circuit. But when this gets up to the Supreme Court, I think those nine justices may have a very, very different view of these laws that basically single out young adults and say, yeah, you're old enough to do all of these things except exercise your right to keep and bear arms. But this is the the left's new tact, that the idea of common sense is a referendum on age, and that the millennia-old view of 18 being adulthood is now something that is uh, pushed to the side, I oppose uh, the increasing of the age shown a firearm, whether it be a rifle or, or a handgun, uh, to 21. I oppose the smoking age being raised uh, to 21, although I absolutely oppose uh, people smoking cigarettes. I personally think it's gross. Cigars, completely different story. And I oppose people not having any level of training when it comes to a firearm, only because I think training is, is good and valuable. And me personally, I could always use uh, some more. The the push is that it's a, the age. The age is the problem. 18-year-olds can't be trusted. There's a societal conversation at play here about what happens when we don't think an 18-year-old is an adult. I mean, it kind of goes back to Obamacare. Uh, uh, they can stay on your – you can stay on your parents' insurance until you're 26. That's right. I think adulthood is now uh, – it's now on the spectrum. Right. You've got a spectrum of adulthood. And maybe you don't reach, you know, full adulthood until, I don't know, 40, 67. I, I don't know. But you're right. There does seem to be this sliding scale uh, of adulthood here. And as you say, I mean, this goes all the way down to we should let 16 year olds have the right to vote. We've heard that from Democrats over the past couple of years. In fact, they've made that argument specifically in order to pass gun control laws. Right. We just have these young student activists who were able to cast a vote while they were in high school. By golly, we can get these gun laws changed. Uh, but when it comes to owning a firearm, when it comes to smoking, and I'm with you, Tony, I actually think the drinking age should be lowered to 18 as well, because I think this prohibitionary approach, this abstinence-based approach of don't look at guns, don't talk about guns, don't talk about drugs, don't talk about alcohol, I don't think it works. I'll be honest with you. I don't think right. it works. We have 100,000 drug overdose deaths in this country. We have 100,000 alcohol-related deaths in this country, and violent crime, shootings, and suicides are also up. The, the status quo is not working. But let's be honest, the status quo involves a lot of restrictions on our rights rather than encouraging responsible gun ownership, rather than encouraging people how to drink moderately, encouraging people how to actually be functional adults. We're trying to infantilize you know, an entire population, and then we're shocked that we are raising a, a, no, a no, generation no, no. of – Yes. We're succeeding in infantilizing an entire generation, <laughs> and then we're shocked at the result. I think that's mm -hmm. it. Talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. Find him on Twitter, uh, at Cam Edwards. Uh, the, there is a weird, if we engage socially in this just for a, a moment, the same people who tell us that a, an 18-year-old is not ready to purchase a firearm are the same people who, can, who will tell us in a straight face that a 9-year-old can determine their gender. So much of this plays into a very weird social uh, uh, construct conversation or a social games play conversation. And, and we see this with firearms in the following way. I don't, I, I don't know how much you've talked about this or discussed this. There is nothing else in society that I can point to 
that you can say on this subject, we teach everybody to be afraid and never ask a question, and that's guns. You have in Dallas, Texas, parents bringing their seven-year-old children to a drag queen show at, 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 a, uh, at a bar. That's okay. Sexualizing children, totally fine. But somehow the firearm, just be afraid, and, and, and anytime someone brings it up, immediately cry and scream and yell. This is the new tact over the last few years. Maybe it's longer uh, than, than, than that. Um, this is not the sign of a healthy society, and it is absolutely, as I see it, want to get your thoughts, permeated uh, the House and the Senate. And when you take a look at this new legislation they're talking about, it seems to be uh, based on this kind of the gun is too scary. That's why we can't arm schools. That's why we can't harden schools. And that's why the answer is either removal or changing the ages or more mental health services. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I do think that uh, we actually probably do need to bolster our mental health spending, particularly over the last couple of years. Um, you know, the, the, the deaths by despair that I kind of talked about uh, really are, I think, a problem. And I think that there's, you know, an argument made that things like suicides, including gun-related suicides, are also a part of this problem with the massive increase in overdose deaths and, and alcohol-related deaths that we've seen in this country. But you're right in that the, the focus, certainly in the House and, and even on the Senate side, has been we need to do something about guns, right? Uh, and for those of us who have studied this issue for years and years and years and have come to the conclusion that, you know, another gun control law isn't really going to be all that helpful, uh, and it is going to have some unintended consequences on legal law-abiding gun owners, they don't want to hear it. You know, they have decided that they have to, quote, do something uh, that involves guns. And I think that they're looking at this from a purely political lens as opposed to what actually works. You know, I had on my program a couple days ago uh, Dr. James Eric Dietz from Purdue University's Homeland Security Institute. I would encourage you, by the way, to have him on your show because he's been looking at research. He's been conducting research for the last several years on ways to improve school security, ways to stop these attacks. And what he has found is that armed teachers present with a school resource officer uh, is the quickest way to stop an attack in school, and it is the best way to save as many lives as possible. But you're right. The politicians don't want to hear that, right? They, they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to have that discussion. They want to be able to pass something that they can then take to voters and say, look, I care. This is what we did to show you I care. Well, I don't – you know, that's not what I'm asking politicians to do. I want politicians to do something that works and, frankly, you know, expanding background checks to cover online sales, uh, encouraging states to come up with grants for red flag laws. Those things aren't what's going to make a difference in terms of reducing violent crime or identifying, again, these needles in the haystack. Now, I want to. Who are, you know, more likely to go off and and try to target a school or a grocery store or someplace uh, where the general public is is gathered. Talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. Cam Edwards on the Twitter box. Be sure to find him there. Uh, You brought up the red flag laws, although there's there's a lot in here that we could uh, further further break down and we, and we may have the time we may have to save it for a future conversation i started off as somebody who was a fan of red flag laws the idea that you knew somebody was not stable was not mentally well you you engaged uh, with, with a judge you had them adjudicated mentally unfit uh, so it wasn't some flip glib process but rather it was one of caring it was one of thoughtfulness uh, because when you're talking about taking away somebody's rights you better damn well be sure and so uh, when it, the conversation came up 
and going over it, I favored it. And then you watch states get abusive with their red flag laws, and it turned me off. I said, okay, all right, you, the government, once again, can't be trusted. I'm done here. So when the federal government, when you see Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat of Connecticut, and, and some others talking about expanding red flag laws, what is it that they're discussing? And are the, I mean, Indiana, of course, has uh, a, a red flag law uh, where I live. Are there any red flag laws that have value? Is this something that we should see as a federal thing, or should this be a state-by-state issue? I, listen, I think it should be a state-by-state issue. I don't see the value in red flag laws for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the due process protections or the lack thereof, right? The fact that in most of these states, uh, you can hold a hearing. The subject of the petition is not there, is not even aware necessarily that uh, uh, this is taking place. They're not able to prevent uh, to present their side of the story. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, right, they get a chance to go back into court and say, hey, here's why I'm not a danger. Um, that's one issue, but that's not the only issue. There's the fact, Tony, that, you know, you just talked about it yourself, a judge – adjudicate somebody as having, you know, mental problems. This is not a mental health bill. I'm not aware of any red flag law on the books in any state that requires mental health treatment for somebody who has been red flagged. This is a gun control effort. This takes guns out of the hands of somebody that a judge has deemed to be dangerous, but it leaves the dangerous person alone. That, to me, is reason enough to say, listen, this is so fundamentally flawed. It doesn't address the issue. So we're going to take somebody who's supposedly dangerous. We're going to take any legally owned firearms away from them, but we're going to leave them with their knives and their pills and their gas can and their car keys and matches and whatever else they might use to harm themselves or others. We're not going to require them to get any sort of mental health treatment. We're not going to offer it to them, certainly. That's another issue. Uh, the issue regarding uh, the lack of representation when you're in a courtroom is, is another huge problem. You know, if you're charged with a crime, and you can't afford an attorney. One's going to be appointed for you. But red flag laws take place in civil court. So if you can't afford to hire an attorney, you don't get a public defender. It's you going up against that prosecutor, which tilts the deck even further in favor of the state. And I believe that there's already uh, an attitude of better safe than sorry on the part of these judges. Nobody, no judge wants to be the person who let somebody keep their guns and had them you know, then turn around and use them in a horrific crime. So I think that judges are tempted to just say, yeah, Let's go ahead and, uh, and grant this petition. Uh, it's a you know, pretty low standard of review. Prosecutors can basically, basically make anybody look like they're too dangerous to own a firearm. Uh, and that way they don't have to worry about the possibility of you know, somebody, quote, unquote, slipping through the cracks. We were told when these laws first started coming on the books that they were going to be rarely used. And then what happens is, you know, in New York or another state like Indiana where a mass shooting takes place in a state with red flag laws, then all of a sudden it goes, oh, well, we're not using them enough. And so we got to use we got to use these more, right? And that's when you correctly point out the dangers of just widespread use of red flag laws. Now all of a sudden, something that's supposed to be narrowly tailored is being used as sort of a catch-all, uh, and it doesn't fix the underlying problems in our criminal justice system. It doesn't touch the crisis in our mental health system. It is a I don't even I hate to call it even a band-aid because I don't even think it does that. It is a do-something soundbite solution from politicians that doesn't make us any safer and doesn't address the real issues. Cam Edwards, BearingArms.com, on Twitter, at Cam Edwards, E-D-W-A-R-D-S. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Be sure to get over there uh, to BearingArms.com and check it out. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
I do have to say just on the issue of uh, uh, gas prices after waiting for a long time uh, to have enough chips in this country to finally get my electric vehicle, I got it uh, and drove it from Michigan to here uh, this last weekend and went by every single gas station and didn't matter how high it was. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity for us to move to vehicles that aren't going to be dependent on the um, whims of the oil companies and the uh, international market. That's Debbie Stabenow, Senator from Michigan, letting you know what she thinks of you. I have an electric vehicle. I spent the fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars or whatever it is. I was able to just drive on to DC without a problem. <laughs> I don't know, is that tone deaf? Is that just flat out hate? What do you What do you do with elitist? That? Well, yeah, well, elitist, I agree with you there, Ari. Good Lord, these people, these people. There's a caravan a-coming because we have no border policy at all. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.